My name is David Fournier, instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you so much for joining me, whether live or archive. One of my students had sent me an email a couple weeks ago and said, hey, where'd the show go and how come you haven't been doing it? Okay, I'll be honest. He guilted me into getting back on the game again. And I apologize. We've had so many exciting things happening and preparation for a lot of different churches and lessons and things that are happening. But again, I want to get back to talking about the Zohar in 15 show. One of the things I want to mention real quick is I've had some uh, friends and say, why the Zohar? Is it really that important to us? It, it's simply a commentary. We're just making commentary on a commentary. Whether you believe that's real or you want to be part of what's happening, well, that's completely your business. Uh, but the show seems like it does okay, and I get some really great comments. Today, we're going to be reading from Zohar, Volume 1, the section called Vi'aria, uh, Chapter 12. Verses 167, 168, 169, and then a quick commentary by one of the rabbis in paragraph 13. It seems that we're very one-sided creatures. It seems like we're very one-sided creatures. We really want and we desire, we expect God to be forgiving and open and releasing our sins. Man, we'll come forward to an altar. We'll confess our sins. We'll ask for forgiveness. Um, If I could go this far as to say we'll even do things we know that are going to anger God and violate God, but because we don't see that immediate consequence for our actions, again, maybe sometimes we'll talk about spiritually about the time-space continuum and how that while we don't see the immediate action, it doesn't mean there's not an immediate penalty being suffered somewhere in our spiritual universe. And what I mean by that is the idea that God doesn't reach the minute you make a mistake and you take God's name in vain or you sin or you look at a woman with lust or whatever the category of the day may be, and this giant hand from heaven doesn't come down and smash you against the wall and punch a few teeth out. And you're like, oh, I'm not doing that again. Because at the end of the day, we have to make the decision whether or not we want to do what God wants us to do. Whether or not we're connected to a God in a way that we understand that our shortcomings, our sufferings, our faults, our sins hurt God. And as Christians, we go, it goes even farther to think about Jesus' his sacrifice on the cross. But what's interesting is that although we really want and desire our sins to be forgiven and we have prayers about getting our sins forgiven, we don't always feel the same towards others and their sins. And it seems like, and again, it just seems like there are certain categories of sins and certain areas of sins that we find more offensive or even more uh, complicated to be forgiving about. I understand there are crimes in humanity that some are more heinous than others. I get that part. I understand that there's moments where things are are more difficult to explain. But I want to ask you this question this morning. What kind of spiritual world would we have if we asked God to forgive the sins of others? Even those people that we that even the people that don't see what they're doing is wrong. Maybe we think what they're doing is wrong, and we think God has a problem, but they don't think that God has a problem with it. What kind of a spiritual world would we have if we ask God to forgive someone else's sins? In our Zohar section, the rabbis and sages remind us that every action that we perform, both good and bad, has an effect on others. 
What happens a lot is we have a giant disconnect button. I want you to kind of picture this in your mind. Uh, picture it like right in front of you right now. We have this giant disconnect button. And this disconnect button makes us believe that if I decide to do something I shouldn't do, if I decide to uh, break a rule, if I decide to say, well, that won't hurt anybody but me. But the truth is it hurts the spiritual universe. It has an effect on everything. Uh, in our section, the rabbis and sages remind us that every action that we perform, both bad and good, has this effect on others. And they're going to be commenting on the story surrounding Abraham's hospitality towards the strangers while he was in great pain. If you remember, when Abraham got his call, one of the things that God required Abraham to do was for Abraham to become circumcised. And he wasn't eight days old. He wasn't eight weeks old when this happened. He was well aware of what was going to happen and, and what was happening to him, and he was in a great deal of pain. And the story tells us that he's out in his tent, he's in the heat of the day when these strangers come up. And I'm, you know, I wonder how many of us, when... We've been sick or not feeling well or welcoming towards strangers. I want to start by reading verse 167. This corresponds to what we have learned. When the Holy One, blessed be he, loves a person, he sends him a present. And what is that present? It is a poor man from whom he can perform a meritorious act. So now that he is is meritorious and deserving, the Holy One, blessed be he, draws a cord of grace from the right side upon him. He winds the cord around his head and marks him. So that when judgment falls in the world, the angel of destruction will take notice of him and not hurt him. Because he raises his eyes and notices that mark, he avoids him. This is why the Holy One, blessed be he, arranged beforehand to make him meritorious. So this gift, God loves us so much that he he gives a gift to us. Does that sound familiar, by the way? That God's love is one that presents gifts to us. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son. We talk about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. So God gives this gift. Does this sound familiar to you? I want to say something about a gift real quick. I want you to always remember that a gift reflects the heart of a giver. Let me say that again. The gift reflects the heart of the giver. Now, the gift is a poor person. Now, this is not exactly one of my high choices of stocking stuffers. not exactly the thing that I would... I would ask for the most. Oh, God, you know, I want to have a really great Christmas present this year. You wind up with a poor person. This gift of this poor person that's been given to him is so that he can be kind to him, so that he can do a meritorious act to him, so that he can do something great for him. And by doing that, he's contributing. He is actually contributing to what? He's contributing to the repairing of the world. I'm going to take a quick commercial break here, and we'll be right back with the rest of our lesson. Looking for something different at your next retreat, Bible study, or weekend seminar? Restoring Grace could be the answer for you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we gladly support, encourage, and minister in many churches across the country. You can reach me at dave at restoringgrace.com. Again, that's dave at restoringgrace.com. Or you can call 719-233-6265, 719-233-6265 for your next upcoming event. Don't forget, if you have any uh, questions or comments on the show, you can always reach me at Dave at RestoringGrace.com. Again, again, that's Dave at RestoringGrace.com. So this gift of this poor person is presented to us. So now this answers the question, 
what do I do when I have somebody on the side of the road asking for money? I don't know what this person is going to do. I don't know uh, how this is going to affect me. He may go buy alcohol. Hang on a second. Have we ever considered the option that God, in his infinite wisdom, God, the Holy One, bless me, has put this person in our path, not just so that we help him, but to give us the chance to perform that meritorious act, to do something kind for that person. And what happens out of this is a cord of grace is wrapped around the right side. Remember that in, in Judaism you have a central column, which is our connectivity with God. And then you also have your right side, which is your side for giving, and your left side, which is your side for receiving. This cord of grace, how amazing is that term? See, grace wasn't something that was invented in, in the uh, first century. It had been around in the scriptures since the beginning of time. He wraps his cord of grace around us. And then this court of grace is covering this protection. The angel of death, who brings judgments into the world, according to Judaism, this angel of death sees that mark on us. He sees that, that meritorious lifestyle. He sees that, that life of giving, and he sees that court of grace wrapped around us by the Holy One. And he does what? He goes away from us, kind of very similar to the pass, uh, Passover. This removes judgments against us and against the person. And because of our past actions, our future pain and our future suffering can be avoided. That's why it's important that we do the right thing. Now let's get back to the Abraham story a little bit, and let's talk real quick about uh, verse number 168. Verse 168. This is why it is written, And Elohim remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. Bereshit or Genesis 19.29. It does not say Elohim remembered Lot. As a result of Abraham's meritorious act, he was saved. And remembered means that he remembered the previous meritorious act that he had performed with the three angels. So what's happening here is the Bible says that God remembered Abraham, the one who is not going to get destroyed, and he saves Lot, the one who is going to get destroyed. I need to say that again because it can't be said loud enough and it can't be said more powerfully. Let me say it again. The scriptures tell us in Genesis 19.29 that God remembers Abraham who is not in danger of being destroyed, and, the, and that remembrance causes Lot, who is in danger of being destroyed, to be saved. Why? Why wouldn't he let Lot just cook with the rest of them? Because Abraham's righteous deeds, his love for, for doing good, for doing mitzvot, and his genuine love for Lot, saved Lot from destruction. I want you to think about it. What if we lived our lives for the benefit of others? so that they could be kept from judgments. What if we lived our lives for the benefit of others so they could be kept from judges? What if our prayers, what if our acts of righteousness, what if the things that we did, what if those things were done for the benefit of other people to save them from judgments? Here's a story where the Bible is clear that it is not because, it's not because of Lot's actions that Lot is saved in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's because of whose actions? It's because of the actions of Abraham and actions that he had done when? Actions that he had done that day? We don't know for sure how much time frame this is, but actions that he had done before. This is amazingly powerful. Again, God remembers Abraham who is not in danger of being destroyed by in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saves Lot who is in danger of it. Abraham's righteous deeds, his love for doing the right things, his genuine love for Lot, saves Lot from destruction. Let me read verse 169. In the same manner, when harsh judgment hangs over the world, 
The Holy One, blessed be He, remembers the charitable deeds in the, in, uh, that men perform. Every time a person performs that charitable deed or meritorious action, it is noted above. Think about that. Therefore, even when harsh judgment is on the world, the Holy One, blessed be He, remembers the good that a person has done and is merited to other people. As it is written, but charity, righteousness, delivers from death, Proverbs 11, 4. According to this, the Holy One, blessed be He, arranged in advance that opportunity for Abraham to perform that meritorious act so that by his merit, Lot would be saved. Now think about what we're talking about now. Only a couple minutes left. <coughs> so Abraham, coming, God calling Abraham, Abraham being circumcised, being in pain that few days later, opening up the doors of his tent to welcome the strangers, was all arranged by God. <coughs> was all arranged by God. So that he would have the opportunity to perform the act of kindness, and therefore be remembered by God during that time of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And the man who was not in danger, Abraham, was remembered, which led to the man who was in danger a lot to be saved. And all this was teed up. So what we're saying is that every single action you do, <coughs> excuse me, every single action you do, from, the, from handing 50 cents to a stranger on the sidewalk, to cheering somebody up with a smile, to saying hello to somebody you normally don't say hello to, to complimenting somebody on what they're wearing, picking up trash in your church parking lot, every single action, those opportunities to you by the Holy One. So like Abraham, we can cause a global collection of good deeds and actions that can prevent the very hand of God against judgment judgment in this world. Or we can go on being self-centered religious bigots that caring less for anyone that doesn't confirm to our denominational beliefs. Our faith, our certainty, cannot be built on vague different code, different codes of right and wrong. We need to understand that there's a direct deposit-withdrawal system in the spiritual universe. When times are most difficult, people say, oh, we're at the end of the world. Look how horrible it is. Oh, the gay people are running crazy and all the other problems we have going on. Well, if you really believe that we're at the end, that the most harshest judgment of all is hanging over the world, we can tip the scales in this world gone mad from judgment to mercy by being active participants with God in repairing the world. My name is David Fournier. Thank you so much for joining me. You're live archive. God bless you.